Acts chapter 2 today, as we've been over the past two months, maybe, walking through the book of Acts. Um, We've had a couple of detours along the way, but we're going to finish up Acts chapter 2. I want to recap what we talked a little bit about last week. So last week, we were in... um, Again, Acts chapter 2, but verses 14 through 36, which happens to be Peter's sermon that he preaches, right? One of the best sermons ever preached. We're going to read in a verse here this morning, uh, 3,000 people get saved from this one, this one sermon that he preaches. It's incredible. And we talked a little bit about, this wasn't quite in the sermon itself, but right, we talked a little bit about, think about Peter for a second. This is the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. Get thee behind me, Satan. Go up in the upper room and wait for me. Peter gets impatient, doesn't wait long enough. Decides he's going to make his own new apostle. Not wait for God to decide who it's going to be. And then this moment, right? Harkens back to Jesus' words to him. I will build my church upon you. First sermon is preached by Peter. It's not massive from the sermon we preached. Well, you guys didn't preach it. Um, that I preached last week, but it's heartening to me to know that as many times as I mess up, if God's got a plan for me, it's still going to come to pass. But we did talk about, right, proving who Jesus is and the, the, and the, 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 the point of Scripture and using Scripture, right, because that's what Peter does. He takes a couple of passages out of the Old Testament to prove who Jesus was, who he is. And we talked about, right, it's our job to do that, to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus. It's not about us, it's not about our honor, it's not about how great we are, it's about preaching the good news and using this book. It's our best tool, so you gotta know it, right? So we pick up the story right after that in Acts chapter 2. In verses 37 down through uh, 47 here, where we read this is kind of the outcome of Peter's sermon. What happens immediately and in Jerusalem in the following days based around what Peter preached and what happened there. Let's read it. We're in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. And you notice I titled this sermon, The Beginning. Because this is the beginning of the church. This is where the church as we know it. Now, our church looks vastly different from what they had. But this is where what our idea of church begins to take form. It's where the idea of the church as the body of Christ begins to take form. We can trace what we do back to right here. Now, we've added some stuff. I don't think they sang the doxology. In fact, I know they didn't. How do I know? It didn't exist. So they couldn't have sung it. Um... The ideas that we get, they trace back to here. Let's read it. Acts chapter 2, 37 through 47. It reads, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. I want to pause right there. You know Peter was talking about you in that verse? We are pretty far off from Peter, but Jesus called himself. I love that. You can read it in John as well when Jesus prays for us. That's that's great. Verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept, an ex- and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. 
So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, your scripture might say daily, those who were being saved. Let's talk about this a little bit. Number one on your note sheets, if you grabbed a bulletin, number one on your note sheets, the promise, the promise. So all these people, right, we mentioned that there's, a, there's the festival, the feast going on. So there's a bunch of people from all over the world, a bunch of Jews from all over the world are in Jerusalem right then. They hear Peter preaching. They're like, these guys are drunk. Peter says, no, we're not. Let me show you who Jesus is. And their response is, right, now you're in the crowd. And their response is, what shall we do? If you have ever accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have asked that question. You might not have worded it that way. That might not have been the actual thing you said, but it was the sentiment. Because here's the thing. You might not have been there. In fact, I know you weren't there to actually crucify Jesus on the cross that day. Your sin hung him there, though, and held him there. So you crucified him that day. And anyone who has accepted Christ has been pierced through the heart and had to say, what should I do? What should I do? This, this information is true. It rings true. I know it. What should I do? And Peter gives just this beautiful, in verse 38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive it. Remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the apostles speaking in tongues and the flaming, cloving, uh, the cloven flames over their heads, right? We are not talking about the gift of tongues as we talked about, as we, is, is in like 1 Corinthians and stuff like that. When he's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit here, he's not talking about, all right, you're going to have the gift of prophecy and you're going to have the gift of wisdom and you'll have discernment. Peter's not talking about that. He is talking about the gift that is far, far more important than any spiritual gift anyone has ever had. What he is saying is, listen, repent. Admit, right? We would word it like this. Admit that you're a sinner. Pray the prayer. And the Holy Spirit will come on you. Notice, I love the fact here, he doesn't go, okay, let's all pray together now. There is nothing wrong with doing stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not bashing that in any way, shape, or form. I am saying that we put a bunch of stock into what we call the sinner's prayer. Peter didn't say, now you have to say these words. What he said was, repent and seek God for forgiveness and the Holy Spirit comes. Now we need to confess with our mouths, right? We read that in Romans. You must confess with your mouth, which is why we do the sinner's prayer sort of thing. He didn't say, well, just feel it. It's okay, just feel it. No, no, they needed to repent. And repent is not, most of you in here have had kids and or grandkids and such, right? Well, if you have grandkids, you probably also have kids. Either way, um, 
It's kind of how the process works, but either way. Um, how many times have you heard the idea of you're not sorry, you're sorry you got caught? I never heard that because I was a good child who when I was told I needed to apologize felt the depths of my wrongdoing deeply. Repenting is not sorry you got caught. Repenting is not, oh, dang it, God caught me in my sin. Repenting is, as Paul, or not Paul, excuse me, as David would put it, a broken, contrite heart before God that goes, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. I deserve hell. I deserve torment. I deserve damnation. But I want to follow you. I don't want to keep doing what I was doing. I want to follow you. He is not telling them, live a perfect life. He is telling them, turn your heart around and follow after God. Repent and seek his forgiveness. And the incredible thing is, it is promised that immediately the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You do not have to wait. You do not have to go through a certain uh, ritual. You don't have to do all of these things. You don't have to be a Christian for five, ten years, and then, all right, you've proven yourself. I'll send the Holy Spirit. You repent. You accept God, and the Spirit is upon you with salvation and with power. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago what that power is, right? That power is the gospel and to share the gospel. It's on you immediately. It is a promise. You've heard me say before, don't put God in a box he doesn't put himself in. We love to put God in boxes. We like to go, well, I like my God to be like this. He fits right in my neat little box. God doesn't fit in most of our boxes. In fact, God doesn't fit in any of our boxes. I will tell you this this morning. You can put him in this box. That if you repent, the Holy Spirit comes. Because he said it will. And I stand on his promises. I'm going to pause right there before we even keep going and talking about the beginning of the actual church. Because the fact of the matter is that pretty much the rest of the sermon is really not nearly as important as what we've just talked about. And I'm not going to stand up here and say the sinner's prayer for you guys. But I do want to give you the opportunity, whether you're listening at home, listening on the podcast, or you're sitting here in the pews. I want to give you a chance to repent. And I want to encourage you to do it. If you are experiencing no joy, if you are experiencing no peace, if you have never given your heart over to him truly and sought that forgiveness, do it now before it's too late. Before it's too late. All you got to do is exactly what Peter said. Go talk to God. And you say, God, I have... I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I know you're the only way. Be my King, my Savior, my Lord. I'm turning myself over to you. And boy, that Holy Spirit just comes. It doesn't make life easy, but it does make it better. Number two on your note sheets. Number two. The beginning. The beginning. I'm going to start this with a caveat. Or as I used to say when I was younger, a cave eat. Because for some reason, I thought that E could be used for both words, and you just said both, a cave eat, not a caveat. I love history. I love facts. I love 
verifiable fact. So I apologize right now because some of you in here are probably going to go, my, this is boring. I apologize from the outset. I practiced this sermon a few times trying to make sure I keep my um, inner history professor tamped down. But I love this stuff as we talk about. We're going to talk, I'm going to do my best to focus on what God was doing, not on the minute details of history. But if I start to get too much, it'll be on my dad back there to give me the look that says you need to get back to what we're actually supposed to be talking about, okay? I won't listen to any of the rest of you, just him. Well, I'll listen to Grandma too. Let's talk about it. Number two, the beginning, right? So right here in these verses, we get a description of what the early church was doing. So it starts out with just about 3,000 people in it, right? We know 3,000 people get saved. We know from earlier there's about 150 people in the upper room. So we're going to call it 3,000 just for ease of, of thing. But there's roughly 3,000 people right now in the whole world that are Christians, roughly. We're giving or take a little bit, Okay. And what were they doing? Because we're physical creatures. We like to do things. Now, I'm not saying we like to do work, but we like to do things. I like to sit on the couch, but it is a thing that I'm doing, right? So what were they doing? They were breaking bread. They were eating together. We're going to do it just in a little bit, however long I decide to keep you here until you guys start getting up and walking out. Right? They were breaking bread together. And that wasn't just eating together. I want to paint this picture for you. And this is somewhat historical, but it has a point. Okay? I understand that in today's age, in America, not the rest of the world, but in America, the dinner table is not nearly as important a piece of furniture as it should be. It was back then. The family unit, eating together was a thing. When you ate together is where you discussed the day. It's where you would discuss religious matters. It's where you would discuss problems and issues that you were having. The dinner table, and it wasn't as much a table as we think about it today, but either way, the meal was a time of fellowship together. It was less about the food and more about the people you were with. I say all of that because I want to encourage you Bring back the dinner table, sit around the dinner table and eat your dinner and talk about life, about issues, laugh. The dinner table at my family's house, anything was on the table. And I don't mean food, I mean any topic of conversation. Because my dad's idea was, and I agree with him wholeheartedly, rather have you come home and ask me and I can give you correct information than you ask it in the boys' locker room and you hear something that's probably not true in the first place. But we could talk about everything. And so it wasn't just, hey, we're eating together. It was a, it was, it was camaraderie. It was family being made. And I want to encourage you, whether it's at the potluck this afternoon here, just a little bit, or at your own dinner table or at a friend, something like that, make it be something more than just we're sitting and eating food together. Talk about your day. Talk about what you're walking through, talk about what God is teaching you, all that kind of stuff. That is what they were doing when they were breaking bread. Not just eating. They were together and growing together as a family of believers. They were learning, right? The odds that they had a church service like this are fairly low. 
It's not kind of the way that it worked back then. Think more about a small group. You might have the one leader, right, who does most of the teaching, but there's discussion, there's some, and, 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 and engagement and stuff like that, right? You come to men and women's group here on, on those Monday nights that we have them, and that's kind of more what church back then was like. But they were learning together. Now remember, they don't have anything New Testament. The, the apostles have not written the Gospels yet, nor has Peter, Peter or Paul or John or whoever wrote Hebrews, most people think it's Luke now, but either way, whoever wrote Hebrews um, written any of the New Testament. So they were learning from the Old Testament. I want to tell you this, everything you need, it's there in the Old Testament. It's better, it's easier for us to understand from the New Testament, but it's there in the Old Testament. And they were learning about God and learning about Christ and learning about what it means and growing. They were spending time praying together. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands in the air because I don't want uh, to make anybody feel embarrassed or anything like that. But take stock. Do you have somebody that you pray with on a consistent basis? I don't necessarily mean daily. It could be weekly. Some people, you know, you've got somebody you pray with like once a month because that's when you guys can actually see each other and stuff like that. Do you have people you pray with on a consistent basis? basis. Because if you don't, I want to encourage you to find somebody that you can. Somebody of the same gender, preferably, or in a small group. The Bible is chock full of, we need to be praying together. It's all over the place in there. Praying together, unified, for the same things. We do it on Wednesday nights here at the church. If you look in your bulletins, you'll see that each Wednesday of the, for the month, there's five different uh, themes that we do on Wednesday nights here. Our first theme is warfare prayer. And boy, we spend the Wednesday hour uh, here at 6 o'clock just praying for this church, for the things we're doing here, for the people in here, for the month. The second week, we call it petition prayer, and we get together, and that's where we sit down, and we spend half an hour, and this little Timmy goes, my, stub my toe, and Johnny goes, my aunt has cancer, and Billy's like, we're losing our house, and Timmy's like, I've got a good one, and I'm like, great, bring it on, because we hear a lot of bad stuff, and then we, we sit there in a circle, and we pray before God. We bring everybody's petitions before God together. The third week of the month we call it personal growth prayer, and we come together, and instead of we've made all these petitions and stuff like that, we go, hey, give us something God is working on your life in. And let's all pray together for each other for what that is. And then the fourth week of the month, we call it Great Commission Prayer, and we choose a church in the area and one of our 12 missionaries, and we pray for those two things. And then on the days that there's a, the months there is a fifth Wednesday, we call that Thanksgiving prayer. God hears a lot of requests. We like to give him thanks. So we spend the hour giving him thanks. But we come together and we're praying together. Find somebody to do that with. Right? We love to quote the scripture where two or more are gathered. There I am also. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And yet we all just love to be a solitary string. Quoting scripture doesn't help you. You got to actually do it as well. And lastly, 
They were helping each other. Now, my favorite verse here, i got to find it, is... Um, 45, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all with, sharing them with all as anyone might have need. I have need of everybody's possessions and money. So if you could just send it my way, that'd be great. I'm not asking you guys to sell off all that you own. Neither is God. However, comma, the question is, are you willing to help anybody in need? Where does it come out to? Now, it starts, and I do think this is an important distinction. It starts with the believers in the church. Lauren and Andy need something. We come together and help them. And then over here, right, right, uh, Kathy needs something. We'll go and help her, right, so on and so forth. We're all helping each other. The church is supposed to support each other as best as we can. We can't fix every issue, right? If you come to me and you're like, Pastor, we need a new car. It's got to be a 2022. I'm going to tell you, go get a loan. And not from us. Pray really hard. Right, but you come, we call it the deacon's fund still, even though we don't technically have diaconates anymore, we've just made it one board. We still call it the deacon's fund, right? We use it to help people, stuff like that. They were in the business of helping each other. I was not more, you and I were not more or less important than anybody else. We were together as one, helping each other. And if I'm helping you and you're helping me, we generally are going to get the help that we need. You see, one of the biggest issues we have in the world today, especially, no, not in the world today, in the American church today, and you might go, Pastor, you beat up the American church quite a lot for being a part of it. You're darn right I do, because I think of all the churches in the world, America's got it the worst when it comes to our churches. Not our freedoms, but when it comes to the way that church was supposed to be in the body of believers we do the worst at it from what the Bible says we're supposed to be like. You go to any other country, essentially, and they are a way more unified body of believers than the American church is. Because in America, we have all of our freedoms and we like to be individuals. The Bible has never called any of us to be individuals. It's called us to be part of the body. I'm not telling you not to be somewhat individual in your own world and stuff like that, right? I'm not saying that we should all live in a... Con I'm not trying to be a cult leader here. Nobody drink any Kool-Aid. I am saying that if you put yourself over another member of the church, you are not doing what God has called you to do. Somebody asked me one time, Pastor, I could tell they didn't go to church here because they actually called me Pastor. That's a joke. It's okay to laugh. I don't care that most people here just call me Sam. Most of you knew me long before I was a pastor, and I was being that good kid who deeply regretted every bad thing that he did. I firmly remember one day getting kicked out of the library by the library teacher over here because I was being disruptive. I don't think I was being disruptive. It, some of you are like, what? Kathy, who at that time I did not know was... Have I ever told you this story? I'm going to tell it now. Here we go. Put the sermon on pause, okay? So she was the elementary school. I, I, you worked in the library. In my brain, you were the library teacher. I don't know what your technical title was, but that's what I'm going to call you. So 
I was in fifth grade, and I was in the library, and this might be very difficult for you guys to understand or, or believe, but when I was a young child, I was a bit loud. Yeah, I was trying to think of a different word necessarily. Um, I was unaware that I had ADHD, but boy, I had it, and I was all over the place, right? And so one day, I was being very loud in the library, and generally you're not supposed to be loud in, loud in school, let alone in the library of the school, and so she, she very, very rudely asked me to leave. And I got home, and I went up to my dad and started talking about, oh, the library teacher, Mrs. Offshurik, she made me leave because I was doing this, and he looks at me and he goes, you know you're related to her, right? And I went, what? So that's when I learned we were related that day. She was not rude at all. I was just a little imp. So, but see now here's the problem. I went off on a tangent. I have no clue where we were. Oh, cool. We're supposed to be, I was paying attention. I was the one talking. I just, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> we are supposed to be helping each other at every turn. I remember where I was. I was telling a completely different story. This person talked to me and asked me, when do I put myself, not asking me, when do I put me, they were asking, when do they put themselves above the need of somebody else? They were a Christian, and they went, when, when am I allowed to do that? And I said, never. And they looked at me, and I said, find the spot in Scripture that says that you're more important. Go ahead, read the whole thing. I'll sit here with you. We'll wait. You won't find it. What you will find is deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow God, and did Jesus put himself? Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when you need to go off alone and spend some time with God to rejuvenate. I'm not saying you should just constantly be pouring out, because if you are constantly pouring out, you don't actually have that much in you. You need to have the constant supply from God. I am not saying that you should just never, ever. I am saying that other people are more important than you. Jesus would always finish what he was doing and then go off alone. He wasn't in the middle of preaching the Sermon on the Mount and go, whew, I'm tired, I'll see you tomorrow, I'm going to go and be with God. He finished, then he went off. We need to ensure that we are helping the other members of the body. And here's the thing, right? Because there's this incredible result. When we are doing these things, there's this incredible result. And we read it in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And here it is. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Church, I'm going to make a fairly black and white statement here. If you are wondering why people aren't getting saved, don't look at them. Look at you and what you are doing. Are your words and your actions lining up? Now, here's the thing, right? We love to talk about this, and this is true, right? Some are waters. Some are planters. Some are waterers. Some are harvesters. We use that a lot. It makes us feel good inside. It is 100% true. God does not use all of us in the same capacity in the same way. I am saying, though, some of us in the American church, 
and in all of the church. Not, I'll stop picking on the American church. In the church as a whole, we go, well, I'm just a planter. Well, stop planting weeds, would you? I'm just a planter. Stop throwing it on the rocky soil, would you? I'm just a waterer. Then tip the darn can over. It's begging for some water. I'm just a harvester. Then why are you sitting on the couch and not out in the field? You can't claim you're one thing when you're not doing anything. And I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody in here. Although, if you're sitting there going, yeah, you know, Andy needs to be doing better. It's probably you. Just saying. Or if you're sitting there going, uh-oh, is he talking to me? I'm probably talking to you, just saying. The Holy Spirit has this great way of us, of using, like, if you're ever hearing a sermon and your brain goes, boy, I wish Maddie was in here to hear that sermon. She really needs to hear this. That might be true. You know what else is true? Stop thinking about somebody else and listen to it for yourself because you probably need it as well. And also, if you're sitting there and the Holy Spirit's just tugging at those heartstrings, listen to him. He's trying to tell you something, right? I'll give you a hint. Not a hint. I'll, t I'll give you a peek behind the curtain. I pray every Sunday morning that God convicts every single one of us. I want him to because I want us to grow in him. If you're not, now I don't mean you specifically, because I'll be honest with you, right? I've been, a, I've been a, a Christian for over 20 years. I've been a pastor for four and a half, right? I know personally of one person in my life I have led to Christ. That's it. I tend to be not even a planter. I tend to be more a waterer, than a planter, than a harvester. And I think there's a very good reason for that. The most glory is in the harvest. And I have a big enough head as it is. I don't need any help being prideful. If I may praise somebody, she's not in here right now, so I'm going to praise her. Maybe the best harvester that I personally know works in our kids' ministry. The amount of people that she gets saved is just incredible. Now, here's the thing. She also plants and waters and harvests, and a lot of times it's the same person. But either way, right? It's okay if you are not the one constantly doing the harvesting. I am saying, are you watering? Are you planting? And if you're not, take a look at yourself and then your church as a whole. Are we as a church coming together, being filled and growing and, and breaking bread together and learning and praying and helping each other and therefore in turn going out into the world and doing those things? This is where it starts. It can't also end here. Let's apply it. We've been applying it for the past 10 minutes, but let's apply it real quick. Because uh, apparently he's supposed to have the hot dogs done in three minutes. So, there's uh, 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 Jason is down. I almost called him Charlie. Charlie's out doing security. Jason's downstairs cooking food right now. So, uh, you know, we'll get done quick here. Let's apply it. We all have the same gift, Right? We all have the same gift. It's the Holy Spirit. We are all made one. Never think you're better than somebody else. I was talking to my friend, my best friend yesterday about this. It's the parable of the workers. 
when the when the, the landlord pays them all the same wage, even though one worked all day and one worked for five minutes. We all have the same gift. We are not better. We are not worse. We've all got it. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Take joy in that fact. Take joy that we are all one. Because we all have the same joy. So use it. And I want to put this out there. How they acted at the beginning, that's how we should still act as a church. I don't mean that we should change our whole church service and I'm going to go, all right, I need eight people that are willing to be small group leaders and on Sunday mornings we're all going to go to a different room. No, 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 no. I'm not talking we're going to change our, how we do Sunday morning and stuff like that. I am saying we need to be breaking bread together in small groups and as a whole church. I am saying we need to be striving to learn together as one. I am saying we need to be praying together. If our prayer meeting got big enough that I had to split it into like two groups, boy, that would be awesome. Whatever. We need to be willing to help each other at the drop of a hat, help each other. Yes, it will be inconvenient for you. Yes, it will cost you resources, time, money, energy. Yes, it will. Yes, it will cost you be willing to help starting with the body and pouring out after. This is what we can do because, you know, we love to say God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, right? We serve that same God. That same God is the one who made the church. We ought to be doing it the same way. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. Um, I thank you that you've given us this example of how a church really should act, not how we should preach, how we should do our music, anything like that, but how we should act together and be together as a family, as a unit, Father. I pray that I, one, I want to thank you that this church, I think, does a pretty good job, right, of doing this stuff. We could do better, sure, but I think that we do a decent job, and I thank you that you've instilled in us this want, this drive to be together as a church, as a family. But I pray that you would help us to do better. I thank you. Father, right now I also pray for all of our food downstairs. Bless it to our bodies. Bless our fellowship together, our time together, as we laugh, as we tell stories, all that kind of stuff, Father. I praise you that we can come together. And it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.